Okay, listen to this. Who recognizes this song? What would it look like the lyrics will also come up on the screen, hopefully. If seeing meant that you would have to We're on page 23 and 24 in your booklets, like if you want to take Jesus notes. And the main things I'm saying are going to come up on the screen. The but anyway, does anyone know this song? I always wanted to be a pop star. Uh, I, you know, there used to be a show on TV called Pop Stars, and I always wanted to be on it. And I would run around the house singing as loud as I could. And finally, someone told me, "Hazy, you can't sing for peanuts." So anyway, that dream died. But have you heard that song before? Anyone? Half of you might have. It was on Glee a while back, but it was written in 1995. Who was born before then or after then? Lots of you guys. So it's written before you're born. And the song goes like this. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on a bus. On the bus, thank you. Trying to make his way home. And then the rest of the song is, is gets lamer and lamer as it goes along. It was written by a guy to impress a girl. It took him 15 minutes. He ended up impressing the girl and married her. But... Here's what I reckon the song is saying. What if God was one of us? What if God knew what it was like to be human? What it was like to feel like a slob who no matter how hard you tried just seemed to always make a mess of things? What if God knew what it was like to be a stranger on a bus? Someone who doesn't belong, who feels lost, Maybe not even feeling like you have a place to call home. What if God knew what it was like to feel alone, unwanted? What if God was one of us? The book of Hebrews was written to, to tell his Hebrew people, don't drift away from Jesus. And I reckon two things that make people your age, two of the biggest things that make people your age drift away from Jesus are when you suffer or when you sin. So when you suffer, you go, where is God? Doesn't he care? How can I come to him? How can he possibly know what I'm going through? And so you get angry at God. And you drift away from him. And I know some of you guys have gone through that or are going through that. Another one is when you sin and you do that thing that you wish you had never done and you just feel so guilty. You think, I can't come back to God now. Not after what I've done. And so you drift away. And maybe 
you're not a Christian right now because of one of those two things. You're angry at God because you've suffered. Or you think, there's no way I could go back to God now, not after what I've done. Guys, that's the whole point of Christianity. That is why Jesus came to earth. If only God was one of us. God became one of us. And Jesus suffered. So he knows what it's like. He can sympathize and he can help. And Jesus saves even better. So you can go back to God even after what you've done. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you drift away in either of those groups, you're walking away from the only person who can help you. You're like a beggar on a street who finds a winning lottery ticket but doesn't pick it up because the last thing I need right now is paper, more paper. You know, it doesn't make sense. You're a lost and hurting soul and you're walking away from the only person who can bring you home. That's what God's saying in this part of Hebrews uh, and that's what we're going to have a look at. So if you've got your Bibles, keep them open. Hebrews chapter 4 and I want you to have a look at verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. It says we've got a, a great high priest. Anyone know what a priest is? Anyone? Yeah? Oh, yeah, they're in Catholicism. They're also in Judaism. How does it say up there? That's good. Good work. It says up there, priest is someone who bridges the gap between humans and God. Okay? People over here can't approach God, and a priest is someone who bridges that gap. So the high priest, really easy concept, it's the top priest. It's like the boss in that game last night, the head honcho priest. So you can write those down if you want. And what this is saying is in verse 14, we have a great high priest. His name is Jesus. He's the ultimate person who bridges that gap between us and God. And look what it says in verse 14. Who has gone through the heavens. Jesus came down to earth and Jesus became exactly like us. Flip back uh, into, two, into Hebrews 2.17. We're going to flip around a few verses today, but what I'm showing you are just verses that show you really clearly things that are all through this section of Hebrews, okay? And Hebrews 2.17 says this, For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. So that Jesus could be a great high priest, he had to become exactly like us. He had to become human. So he had fingers and nails. He got tired. He had a mom and a dad and brothers and sisters and hair. He went to the toilet. He stubbed his toe. He laughed. He cried. Jesus became exactly like us. And do you remember that song? What if God was one of us? Well, Jesus didn't just stay up in heaven, untouched, out of reach of pain, but he came down to earth and he became exactly like one of us. And it says that Jesus was tempted. Have a look back in Hebrews 4 verse 14. We do not have a high priest 
uh, oh, 15, sorry, Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. See, when Jesus became a human, he didn't become like an untouchable rock man, so he was like us, but not really like us. No, he became exactly like us, which means Jesus was tempted to sin in every way that we are, except he never gave in. By the way, that tells you, if you're wondering, is it a sin to be tempted? No, Jesus was sinless, but he was tempted. It's what you do about temptation that matters. But not only did Jesus get tempted, but Jesus suffered. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 8. Are we going too fast? Are you keeping up? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. You realize this? Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. See, Jesus stepped out of heaven into earth and he lived in poverty. And he was homeless. You know, Jesus knew what it was like to grieve. In John 11 or 13, I forget which chapter, it says that Jesus had one of his best friends die, a guy called Lazarus. And when that happened, it says Jesus wept. He knows what it's like to lose a friend. Jesus knows what it's like to be alone and abandoned. His best friends rejected him. He spent the last night of his life alone. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was humiliated. He was stripped naked and and hung on a cross. And of course, he suffered physically. He was whipped. He was beaten. He had nails driven into his hands. And then he was hung on a cross and left to die. Don't ever think that God doesn't know what it's like to go through suffering. Jesus knows what it's like. I would say probably better than any of us. He stepped down out of heaven and he understands. You know what that means? Point D on your page. It means he can sympathize and he can help. Have a look back at chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. In other words, the high priest we have is able to sympathize. Now, when you're going through a hard time, do you know what you want? What do you want most? I reckon you want someone to be there with you. Someone you can talk to about it. And someone who can, especially someone who can say, I know what you're going through. Jesus is someone you can always talk to. And he understands. See, when life gets hard, when a month ago my girlfriend was in hospital with a cracked skull and we weren't sure whether she would make it. When life gets hard, I love that no matter where I am, I can just shut my eyes and I can just know that I'm with God and I can talk to God about it. He's my best friend and he's always with me. But he can do more than just sympathize. He can help. Have a look at verse 16, chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace. Jesus is on the throne. That means basically pray. Let's then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Now notice that it says help us 
in our time of need, not help us out of our time of need. See what I'm saying there? God doesn't promise to get you out of suffering. He promises to get you through suffering. Why is that? Because God uses suffering. And it's often in ways we don't see at the time. See, God knows everything. He sees a big picture. And we only see a small sliver today. And sometimes I think, if you could see the whole picture, if you could see what God's doing and how what's happening here will be so worth it here, you'd understand. But all we see is this bit. And so we think God's abandoned us. No, we just don't see the full picture yet. There's a million different ways he, he could use it. There's much more I could say about this. If you want to chat to me or your leader, we'd love to chat to you. But what God does promise is not to get you out of suffering, but to help you through it. Might not be in the way you expect, but that's his promise. So, when you're suffering and when you're tempted, come to him. When you're hurting, the person you need most is a friend. So don't run away from Jesus. Come to him. You don't have to do it alone. He stands there with his arms out, ready to surround you with his love, ready to listen, ready to understand, and to be that friend who never leaves you. That's amazing. Come to Jesus when you're suffering or tempted. But that's not all. Jesus doesn't just sympathize. He also saves. We're going to look at chapter 10. Uh, and, he, it, and what we're going to see is that Jesus saves. He washes away our sins. So we're going to spend the rest of the talk more around chapter 10. But while you're turning there, yesterday, I almost gave away a Nintendo Wii. <laughs> you want a second chance? <laughs> Today, I'm going to give away a new car. Who wants a new car? First hand. Lucas, come on down. Give him a clap. <laughs> come on up here. Now, what sort of what, what would be your ideal car? Camaro. A Camaro. I don't know what that is. Is that Nissan? Is it? Okay, I'm not. My ideal car was always a Mini Cooper. Who's, yeah? You like them? I'm going to give you a brand new Mini Cooper. It's in my pocket. There you go. Merry Christmas. Now, stay here a second. Technically, I may have lied to you a little bit, although not really. That's still a new car, right? Would you say? Who would say, yes, I lied? Who'd say I'd lied? Pardon? Oh, I only took it out of the packet 15 minutes ago or an hour ago. You'd say I lied. Who'd say I didn't lie? Technically, I gave a new car. Cool. Yeah, good work. Well, you can keep this. Um, but what that is, was anyone into model cars? A couple of you guys? I never really was, but I'll tell you what I think a model car is. I reckon, it's a, this might sound like the most obvious thing you've ever heard in a Bible talk, it's a 3D picture. Is that obvious? But pictures, right? Hold that up. If you studied this, you would understand a bit about a Mini Cooper. Yeah, you could learn kind of the shape, the size, maybe. You could probably guess how it drives from like the nice hatchbacky qualities of it. Hatchbacks are the bomb, by the way. Get one when you get a car or a station wagon. And so a picture, here's the important thing. This is why I bothered to give you a car. This is a picture of a car, and from that you can understand a bit about the car, and you can recognize the car. All right, give Lucas a clap. Hope he enjoys his new car. Look after it. Don't write it off like I did to both of my first new cars. 
Now, have you ever wondered why we have the Old Testament? Now, there's, there's about 50 reasons, but I'll tell you one of them. Have a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. When it says, we're going to read that. And when it says the law, it means the Old Testament. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. It's a shadow. It's a picture. Why do we have the Old Testament? The Old Testament is like a model car for Jesus. It's not the real thing. It's a picture. And when you understand the picture, it helps you to understand Jesus. It helps you to recognize Jesus. Okay. Now, this will help you to read the Old Testament. And, and what happens in Hebrews, as the book of Hebrews goes on, in a lot of the chapters, what it does is it shows how the Old Testament was a picture of Jesus. So you might not understand everything I'm about to say, but let it wash over you, okay? See, Hebrews says that Jesus is the true and better prophet. Jesus is the true and better priest. Jesus is the true and better king. Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus brings, we saw this yesterday in our Bible study, the true and better rest in the true and better promised land. Jesus brings a true and better covenant. Jesus brings a true and better temple. Jesus brings true and better sacrifice. So, Jesus is the true and better salvation. If that went over your head, that's okay. Here's a take-home message. When you read the Old Testament, look for pictures that point to Jesus and help you to understand and to recognize him. If that went over all your head, the Old Testament is just a picture of Jesus. Okay? So, what are the, what's the picture supposed to teach us? Well, you see one thing in 10 verse 3. It says this, Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. See, sacrifices show the problem between us and God. And if you've drifted off, listen to me. There is a problem between you and God. It's called sin. The Bible says that God is too pure so that he can't even stand the sight of sin. Imagine we had a DVD that showed everything you'd done in your life up to this point. And we were going to show it tonight during Swarm. Everyone on fat. Now this DVD has a video of everything you've ever done and said. And the voiceover is everything you've ever thought. All the worst things you've ever done, said or thought are going to be on display for everyone to see. Who would be not okay with us showing that DVD? Yeah, I wouldn't be. I'd be terrified. We wouldn't even want fellow human beings to see some of the terrible things that we have done. But God, who is more pure than any of us, He sees it. What do you reckon He thinks? See, there is a problem between you and God. And the Old Testament is a picture, a 3D model to see that. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 2 says this, A tabernacle was set up. Now, tabernacle means tent. This is talking about, if we get up on the screen, 
or don't. That's right. Um, okay, can you see this? This is a tabernacle. And it says a tabernacle was set up in its first room. That's like the middle. This is looking down from it on top, okay? In its first room with the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This is called the holy place. And then behind the second curtain, this is the second room, was a room called the most holy place. And the most holy place represented where God was. And you see this whole thing is set up to show something. Where are the people? The people are all on the outside. And then there's a curtain and a holy place which only priests can go into. And then there's another curtain and then there's the most holy place. And have a look at what verse 6 says. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room. Oh, we're going back. That's right. Can we go back to that one? The priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood. See, this is a live model to show something. What's it show? It shows that there's a gap. It's, the whole thing is set up to say, you, on the outside, cannot come to God. Your sin has separated you from God. And so only the high priest can come in only once a year and never without blood. What's the most blood you've ever seen? Have a think. Have you seen much blood? I'll tell you the most blood I've ever seen. It was about a month ago. And uh, my girlfriend Tammy fell off her skateboard, cracked her head open, um, and I kind of arrive on the scene, and she's lying on the side of the road, kind of curled up, and there's blood everywhere. All down her side, um, a pool behind her head. Someone's taken off the T-shirt and put it under her head, and it's kind of soaking into that T-shirt. And the ambulance arrives, and they kind of yell at us to get away, and then eventually they call us back over, and the ambulance says... We've got to roll her onto a stretcher. So you need to put your hand here on her shoulder and we're going to lift her up, put her on the stretcher and lay her back down. And so I just remember as there's blood everywhere, as I reached down, I put my hand on her shoulder. Just remember this sickly, wet, sticky blood all down her shoulder as we lifted her up. And I thought I was about to pass out from the blood. See, blood is a disturbing thing. It's horrific. We don't like the sight of it. We don't like to touch it. And God requires blood. Why is that? Two reasons. It's to show how horrific sin is to God. God associates sin with blood because we hate the sight of sin and that shows us how much our sin horrifies God. But two... It's to show what the punishment of sin is. Death. See, the Bible says the life of an animal is in the blood. And so you've sinned. And the sacrifice shows what the punishment is. Either you die or something else dies and you go free. The punishment of sin is death, and I mean by that physical and spiritual death. So sacrifices show that there's a problem between you and God. You've sinned. And God can't stand the sight of you. Have you owned up to that problem? That's a serious problem. But how can the blood of bulls and goats take away sin? 
That's what 10, chapter 10 verse 4 says. It says they can't because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. A human life has sinned. How can a goat help? It can't. In fact, nothing we do can take away sins. No matter how much you do, the sin is still there. Going to church won't take it away. Praying won't. Trying really hard won't. There's a problem between you and God. And there's nothing you can do to fix it. Do you feel that? What can bridge that gap? Well, point D on your sheets. The real thing can. Jesus sacrificed himself to take away your sin. This is good news right here. Chapter 10, verse 10. By that will we have been made holy. That means clean. By that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Listen to this. A human life has sinned. We need a human life to pay the price. That's why Jesus came to earth. He became a human so he could swap his life for yours. He paid the price. Why? Because he loves you. I'll tell you a story that helps you to understand just how much he loves you and what's going on here. Some of you guys have heard this. There was a boy who was about your age and they discovered that he had a problem with his heart. And the doctor said, actually, if you don't get a new heart, you're going to die very soon. The problem was, this, they worked out this kid had a very rare blood type and he couldn't just have any heart. He needed one of the same blood type. And so they started searching and searching and they tried their best. They put ads in the paper. They tried everything, but time was ticking down. Because the thing with a heart transplant is obviously you can't take a heart off a living person. You need a dead person. So you need someone with the same blood type as you to die. And then quickly you need to get that person to hospital, take their heart out and put it in you. And then the dad works out that he has the same blood type. But of course, it's against the law for him, for them to kill him to take his heart. What the dad does is he gets a gun. And he drives to the hospital. And he presses a button to call a nurse, puts the gun to his head, and shoots himself. And the boy lives with his dad's heart. That's his, the dad's love for the son so the son could live. That's what Jesus did. His love for you so you could live. He sacrificed his life so you could have yours. And what that means is your sins can be forgiven. Chapter 10, verse 17. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven... There is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Jesus' blood washes away our sins completely, permanently, so you can be forgiven. And what's left for you to do? Do you need to keep offering sacrifices? No. Do you need to do any more good stuff to get to heaven? No. It's been done. There's nothing left to do. All that's left is to trust Jesus. 
Remember I said at the start, a priest is a person that bridges the gap between us and God? Jesus is that bridge. By his death, we can now draw near to God. Have a look at, we're almost done. Have a look at chapter 10, verse 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place where God is by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience and having our body washed with pure water. We're clean. So now we can have a relationship with God. When I was little, I used to hate praying because I felt like God was disappointed with me. And he wouldn't want to talk to me. But this verse is saying, no. If you come to God through Jesus, he's not disappointed with you at all. No matter what you've done. I've talked to people, I know there are probably people in this room, who would say, I've done horrible stuff. There's no way. I've slept with my boyfriend. God can't forgive me. I'm too bad. He can. He does. If you're in Jesus. You're forgiven. God no longer is disappointed with you. He's not standing far away with his arms crossed and a frown on his face. No, he's come right up close with his arms out, a smile on his face, love in his eyes saying, come back. I want a relationship with you. If you've accepted Jesus' sacrifice. Only Jesus takes away sin. So this only applies to you if you've made Jesus your Savior and your King. Have you done that? It's very simple to work out. Have you, there's two questions, they should be up on screen. Have you turned from your sin to live for Jesus as your king? And have you trusted in Jesus as your savior and what he's done to wash you clean? Are you 100% certain that you've done these things? If not, that's how you become a Christian. And, and this week, you should work out whether that's how you want to live your life. All right, let's finish. If you are turned and trusting, if you are with Jesus, three things. Enjoy the sweet release of sins forgiven. You are clean. When I became a Christian, I felt like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. The weight of all the guilt that I've been carrying around for so long. It was gone. Enjoy that. Two, live with hope. Hebrews 10.23 says... Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. If Jesus washed away your sins, you will go to heaven when you die. So no matter how bad things get in this life, you have that to look forward to. So look forward to it. Live with hope. And when you suffer and you ask, where's God? Why doesn't he fix it? He has. It's called heaven. And he's offering you the chance to be there. The problem isn't whether God is fixing your suffering. It's whether you want the solution. His name is Jesus. And if you have him, you can live in hope. Number three, if you're going to heaven, drag as many people along with you as you can. Tell people about Jesus. And look around you right now. 
Do you want these guys to be in heaven with you too? Let's help them get there. Let's all help them. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's like, let's get everyone going. Guys, we need to be a loving youth group and encouraging youth group so people want to be here, so that people feel encouraged to follow Jesus because we want to drag as many people into heaven with us as we can. I'll finish. Are you drawing near to God? When life falls apart, don't run away from Jesus. He can sympathize. He can help. And he can save. Enjoy your relationship with God. Talk to him. Read your Bible. Spend time with him. Trust him. And if you're not a Christian, turn back to Jesus. Trust in him so you can draw near to God as well. Are you drawing near to God? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible love. Like that dad in that story, you gave your life to fix the problem between us and God, and we thank you for that. We're blown away. Please help us to draw near to you when we're suffering, when we're tempted, when we sin, to know that you sympathize, you can help, and you forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, spend a minute reflecting on that, and then Brent will come up. The main point, if you want to write it down, Jesus is a great high priest who can sympathize and save. Spend a minute thinking about that and praying. Don't clap.